The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, I have a whole thing on my mind that we'll get to, but I, something about Bernie Madoff being sentenced today. You know, I got sentenced to 150 years in prison. Um, struck me today. And it, what struck me is, of course, I have no idea what's going on in his mind, but when he said he spoke for about 10 minutes and he said he was really sorry, and, and who knows? But it, and it doesn't, some people say it doesn't matter. But uh, to me, I thought just it sort of struck me just seeing his demeanor and everything that he really does feel sorry. It doesn't I'm not saying it made up for it, but it was almost you know, he's looking back and like I can't you know, I did this. and It was terrible. And you have to wonder, well, you know, what what state of mind were you in then versus what you're in now that can look back at this thing that you perpetuated for several decades, apparently. Right. And it reminds me of a time in my own life where I was. Um, uh, part of a startup company that went public, and I did, you know, okay on the stock. And I had had an arrangement with someone else through, we had had some partnerships, and for different reasons, that he was going to share. When the, if, if the stock went public, he would get some shares of it. And I remember when this happened, I was thinking, okay, I don't want to tell him that it happened, and... I think he wouldn't find out, and I didn't want to give him the stock, and I was just, and then, yeah, I ended up just doing the right thing, but at the time, and it wasn't in this, it was like being in a trance, and I, and when I think back on it, I'm not sure what was going on in my mind, but I just remembered, I kind of, it, as I was thinking, it was about a day or two when I was kind of mulling this around, I just woke up from the trance, and I thought, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're trying to rip this guy off? <laughs> What's going on in your mind? Right? But in the moment, I was just, I'm not sure what was happening in my mind or why I was thinking that way. And I don't think I really would have, you know, uh, you know uh, obviously I popped out of it. But as I look back on it, I was just in a completely different frame of mind or state of consciousness than at the time when I was there, right? But when I was in it, I didn't see that. It just seemed like, okay or normal somehow to me. Anyway, I was reflecting on that a little bit, and maybe it ties in a little bit with the main theme I wanted to talk about. Um, I wanted to talk about a few ways that meditation practice is often talked about and some of the reasons that for doing meditation practice that are often talked about. And uh, anyways, just some different different approaches people have to the subject of why we meditate. And of course, the basic answer for that is no one can can or should tell us why we meditate, right? We each come to it for our own reasons, right? I can't sit here and tell you why you should meditate. You can offer some of the benefits. People could share their own experiences of why it's been helpful or useful for them, right? But no one can tell us why we should meditate any more than anyone can tell us anything about what our life should be about. I'm using this word should, right? Who can say that for each one of us? Each of us 
can look in our own lives at all of the areas of happiness and peace and joy and all of the areas of suffering that we all have. And of course, it's going to be different for each one of us. Depending on our circumstances, some of us are going to experience lots more suffering than maybe happiness. And you can go through periods in your life, sometimes long periods, as some of you know, where there's not much happiness or joy at all. And it's if you've been through times like that in your life, I've been through times like that, both through physical suffering and mental suffering, and it's tough. And if you're going through that, you don't need me to say that. You know, right? Probably for most of us, there's some amount, or at least sometimes in our lives, we've experienced happiness and peace, sense of ease in our lives, even if they're little pieces. We at least can know what those experiences are. And certainly every one of us have our own sufferings. Right? That's, I can say that with 100% certainty. There's probably, I'm guessing, maybe 100 people here or 80, something like that here in the room. There's no one. There's some people here I know, I've known for a long time, and I know to some degree, there's no one here I know well or intimately. We're all fellow sufferers. I hope we're all fellow experiencers of happiness and joy. I've actually said that here, I remember, a number of times. But it's true. And so we may come to Dharma practice. I use the word Dharma practice more broadly than just sitting formal sitting meditation practice. Because it takes many forms, right? Bringing mindfulness and awareness and kindness and compassion into our daily lives. There's many, many service. There's many forms it can take. Um, Formal meditation practice, I happen to think, is a, is important and a big deal, and I'm assuming you do too, because we were all just we're here at a meditation group. So I'm speaking about meditation, but I tend to use the term Dharma practice more broadly. And so when we look for ourselves at what is it that brings us to Dharma practice, it can be many, many different motivations, right? Oftentimes, we may not even know. We're just drawn to it. It makes sense. It just seems the natural, obvious thing. We may not have to reflect, well, what's, what's drawing us to it, to it? And sometimes it may be obvious to us. Sometimes we've been Dharma practitioners, maybe even for a long time, and I've, this, it's not uncommon for people to, to then have a switch and be questioning, why am I doing this? Why am I sitting here with my eyes closed, not moving, just sitting in my suffering. That's not the only, it's, hopefully it's not always suffering, but certainly it can be, right? Why am I doing this again? My wife once, after she came home from a, I think it was about a three and a half month long retreat. And she'd been a Dharma practice practitioner for, she goes way back, done a lot, a lot of practice. She came home, she said, I, I don't know if this meditation's all, what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> or, I, I don't know if this practice is so great. And I said, uh, you're kidding, right? <laughs> she goes, well, I'm kind of kidding, but you know, it's like one of the things that's happened in meditation is I've become so much more aware. So there's this, all this, the part where I've become more joyous and free. 
And that part's really great. But also I'm more sensitive. It's like I feel everything now. Like I have to feel everything. You know, I don't want to feel. I don't want to come to know these. You know, there were parts in me that I didn't want to know were in there. (laughs) Right. And now I've got a. She was kind of kidding. Right. Because if these uh, unwholesome or unskillful places are in us, hopefully we'd rather know it than not know it so we can work with them and free ourselves. So, right, it's a, it can be a mixed bag for, for us. Meditation practice is often talked about in very uh, pleasant, positive terms without talking about suffering much at all. And there's, if you go back in the texts, the Buddha, there's places he goes on and on. He lays out very systematically the path of meditation practice that unfolds. And it's just this beautiful, there's no suffering in there at all. You know, it'll use language such as, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, this isn't precise, but all things such as, you know, we turn the mind towards Dharma and we live the best we can according to the precepts. And when we live in a way that's wholesome and caring and skillful, the, the heart becomes gladdened. And when the heart's gladdened, it settles down more and it becomes more concentrated. And he goes on and on. We become clear and it's blissful. And he just the, the description is just beautiful. And when you read it, you think, well, <laughs> you know, anybody would want to sign up for that when you hear the descriptions. And there are also ways that practice is talked about where the aspect that's not pleasant, where we deal with difficulties or suffering or what's called hindrances, many, many different ways it's talked about, is emphasized, that aspect of the... Not that you're supposed... If if you're thinking of it in those terms, it's not that you're supposed to go seek out suffering, but just talking about more coming to know suffering and working with suffering. And, you know, Buddhism's sometimes people think that's all they talk about is suffering, right? One other thing I actually I meant to say earlier, when I'm talking about Dharma or meditation practice, you know, you could substitute in any aspect of your life. You know, we talk about our joy or happiness or our suffering. It's not just in formal meditation practice. Obviously, it's in any aspect of our life. So everything that we're talking about here, even though I'm focusing more on formal meditation, it applies to any part of our lives, too. Really, when you think about it, formal meditation is, it's just a continuation of any part of our daily life. It just takes a certain form, right? In, in the moment we come here and we, most of us, not all of us, most of us would close our eyes. You don't have to close your eyes, but we generally do that. And we create specialized circumstances to turn the attention inward. It's, you could think of it as that's just what daily life looks like in the moment, right? It's just the continuation of the flow of experience. So these two aspects of the meditation, this what you would call the, the, I'll call it the pleasant and the suffering. One way it's talked about is using the terms purif- purity and purification. So I'm going to use those terms and those can have different connotations for different people. So we... Um, you know, they can have different meanings. So I'll try to explain what I mean. I'm just using them because uh, traditionally they they can you can hear them. They're, they're terms that can be used. So the purity. Well, there's the important aspects of meditation, and this is really these pleasant 
ways it's described where we do train the mind to become less distracted, more still, more quiet, more peaceful. From that comes a clarity. Um, it can be very blissful and pleasant. Um, and there can be a sense not only of profound calm and peace and well-being. And for those of you, I know there's uh, many people who have been longtime practitioners. Some of you might be newer and maybe not have experienced these things. If you're newer, sometimes people can too, for sure. Um, but um, these experiences are important in, for two reasons. That aspect of the meditation is important it, for its, its own sake, right? Because it's very healing and it's um, restful and it can be inspiring to see what can happen, right? And many of you have experienced this yourself. Um, and these, not only this proud, profound sense of well-being and peace, but a clarity and a level of seeing into, our, into the nature of all experiences, certainly into our own minds and bodies, uh, can be uh, quite profound. And whole levels of our being can be revealed that we didn't know about. Uh, places of incredible wisdom and beauty that perhaps we didn't even know we had can be revealed. So this is an important part of what can and does happen uh, in meditation practice. It's very, very important. We're often drawn to meditation because of hearing things like that. You know, the poster says, come to the meditation group or retreat to get inner peace or inner happiness, right? It didn't say, come and suffer. <laughs> we can't say that or you wouldn't show up, right? You have to say it. But, but seriously, it's, it's, and it is an important part of what actually does happen in the meditation practice. And that may draw us. What comes along with it for everyone, for every one of us is, along with, we're not saying that that part isn't important, but along with that, there's the parts where, where the times when we can be dealing with a lot of difficulties, just as in daily life, right? All of us have our areas of suffering and struggle. It's just a reflection of that in our meditation practices too. And so all of these difficulties, sufferings and difficulties in the physical body can happen. Emotional, psychological, mental, many, many different areas of difficulties that can come up. The, the typical reaction about these is that is people, oh, and they want to push that away, or I have to get back, you know, where's the inner peace or the clarity or that well-being? I'm not feeling well-being at all right now. You know, my old whatever self-esteem is up or self-worth or my fear or shame or trauma or, you know, just whatever form it can take for you can be up. Anger. And we sometimes think something's going wrong and we struggle against that. But that's an important part of the meditation practice. And an important skill to learn is, uh, and it, it can often take time, is, and it's an important shift that happens when we start to um, not automatically, habitually react in aversion against that, but just opening to what's actually happening in the moment and see, oh yes, it's suffering, it's unpleasant. Would I choose it? Probably not. But it's what's actually happening in the moment and what are the root causes, what's really going on. Let me get interested and look deeper into the nature of, of this suffering. 
It's an important place. So the times when the mind is clear, awake, and has a sense of really being free, that's maybe when, we're, when we would, might use the term the purity. But what happens, what, it, it actually makes sense when you think about it. What happens is, is when we, when we uh, cultivate and strengthen these wholesome, beautiful, wonderful meditative states, you could just hang out there and enjoy the pleasantness of it, but that's really actually is a corruption of what the practice is about. And, and all of us will do that at some times. And okay, it's not that big of a deal. But we want to keep in mind what's it really for. It's the clarity of the mind that we can turn into seeing more deeply into the nature of our own minds and bodies, the nature of all experience. We start to see, we talk about, I'm not going to get into it tonight, but we talk about seeing deeply into the nature of impermanence and selflessness and unsatisfactoriness or suffering. We start to see these qualities more clear, clearly. We start to see the conditioned patterns in our minds and how we create so much of our own suffering. I, I, won't, I won't claim that we create 100% of our suffering. We create a lot of our own suffering. A lot. An example I've used here before, but it's a good example, so I'll use it again, is if you've ever been sitting in meditation, well, if, of course you have. The times when you've sat in meditation and have struggled and it's been difficult, you've not had a pleasant sitting, and you're just gutting it out, toughing it out until that, when is that bell going to ring? And then you hear the sound. And in that instant, the mind just kind of goes, ah, and relaxes. You haven't moved. Nothing's changed. All that's happened is this happened. The sound of the bell rose. The mind relaxed. Even before you've stretched out that knee that was hurting or opened your eyes, right? It's a perfect place to notice how much of your suffering is created in your own mind. Just an example. There's many, many examples that we don't notice all the time. So what happens during the times of clarity? Then we turn the mind, using that clarity to look more deeply into our own being. By doing that, naturally, we're going to see more and more clearly and deeply what's going to happen. Stuff's going to come up. You will, as I said, see places of beauty. It's not going to be all pain and suffering, but also you'll see other places in there that perhaps needed some tending to or that you weren't aware of. Maybe patterns in the mind of you notice or just become clear. I use the word see a lot. But you could substitute in know or understand or perceive or really get it or experience. When I use the word see, it's not necessarily visual with your eyes. It's just understanding. And so what happens is through the purity, other layers of the purification happen. In other words, stuff comes up. And all of a sudden we feel buffeted around by another round of whatever it happens to be. And so then we work the best we can with it, bringing the best amount of equanimity that we can. We just do the best we can. We bring the best, the most clarity that we can. And sometimes by the nature of the purification process, it's not very clear in the moment or we're struggling. And so we do the best we can. The image that's used often is 
Uh, you'll hear this many, many times. It's as if you had this cauldron that had molten, like a precious metal, like gold. But it had some impurities in it. And then if you heat it, I have no idea if it actually works this way, but it's just the image. It's like the, the impurities bubble up to the surface, the crud or whatever, and then you can skim it off. And then you can, the, the shiny gold is left. And as you continue another round of it, other, another subtler level of stuff comes up. And it's a continuous purification process. It's a great way to think about it the next time difficulties arise. It's actually an important place in practice to rub up against the difficulties. Again, I'm not saying we're supposed to go look, seek suffering. And in fact, even if you thought that were true, I don't think that's true. But even if you did, just hang out long enough. It'll come. (laughs) We all have plenty of opportunities to come to understand suffering. You know how it's often said that if you want to, we want to get free of, you know, if you want to come to understand something, you have to experience it. And so how we have to understand our suffering in order to free it. Well, how do you understand it? We have to experience it, right? You can't just bypass around it. So you get plenty of opportunities. Don't worry. But also don't worry because um, it doesn't stick around forever. And that's what we forget. So the potential traps of both of these aspects, the purity and the purification, the potential trap of the, um, I'll call it the beautiful, or the pleasant, the purity, the clarity, is, is that we become complacent because it just feels like, and I remember times sitting in meditation and I would open up into some, just these incredible meditative states and literally I, I can remember one time in particular the thought, I mean it just shows how corrupted my mind was, the thought words came in my mind, this is really it. Right? Because it was. It was probably some profound seeing or clarity, everything, right? But it just felt like the meditative state itself was kind of the goal. And you become complacent. You just hang out because it feels so good. So that's the potential downside. And we'll all fall into that sometime. We're all liable to that. The potential trap when the purification happens is, which we also will all probably fall into from time to time, is we forget, we think, it's going to be like this forever. And I remember being on uh, some very long meditation retreats and Joseph Goldstein had shared this from his own practice and I remembered it and I used it. It was very helpful of thinking, I mean, just having days, you know, I've been on some very long retreats and, you know, many months into the retreat and um, just having a day of, you know, even after having the day before, maybe it was quite wonderful and deep and clear and then struggling. Who knows why? That's just what was happening that day. And I was suffering so much. And I remember thinking, you know, in a few weeks or a month, you're not even going to remember this day. It was very helpful for me to get out of the immediacy of the drama. And it still can be challenging. I'm not saying it, it wasn't challenging at all. But to realize, you know what? It changes. And sure enough, I didn't stay in that suffering forever. and it, it, So pleasant, unpleasant, freedom, suffering, they all kind of come and go. 
So I just want to end up and then we'll have a little time if we want to have some discussion or questions or whatever. Um, just to say then, I, in the beginning of this talk, I said, you know, it, I, no one can tell each of us. I certainly can't tell you why you should meditate. Now I actually do want to uh, say something about what my own take on not why you should meditate, but maybe what, what it's doing on the on a, the deeper levels of meditation. Because ultimately, even though the Buddha and all these Dharma teachings do emphasize and really make a big deal about many of these meditative states that are important, it's really in service of the deeper, I was going to say goal, I'll say goal, that's fine, the deeper aim of freeing the mind through subtler and subtler and subtler places where we create suffering, the habituated or conditioned patterns in our minds. So that whether we're in some meditative state or whether we're in ordinary everyday daily life consciousness, it's, it's that heart and mind that can rest at ease and at peace in the midst of just the way life is. You know, sometimes we think, oh, if you're a meditation master, you kind of go into some meditative state and you're just in there. No, it's not like that. Meditative states come and go. But our experience of being, even in daily life consciousness, can be transformed. The, the process is transformative. Part of the transformation is through the clarity. And part of the tra- transformation comes from rubbing up against the, the sticky places. It just seems to be the way it works. And it doesn't matter anyway, because whether we like it or not, you're going to get plenty of both. It's just how it is for everyone. I've never met anyone for who it wasn't both. both. Just as, just look into your own daily life. Then look into your meditation practice. It shouldn't surprise you that it's just a mixed bag. These levels of, I call it habituated patterns, or more the traditional term is conditioning of our mind, that gets us into trouble, right? That that reacts against that whatever the experience is, wants to grasp onto pleasant and, and get in, falls into aversion or pushing away unpleasant experience. Is it it get in, um, it's subtle and it goes deep. And so you know it's a lifelong process that we're on. Or if you believe the traditional texts, multiple lifetime process. You don't have to believe that stuff, but right? It's, it just goes on and on. And just looking into my own practice, you can look into your own, into your yours. Um, I've been practicing. Um, Jim mentioned I've been practicing almost 40 years. Practice has been transformative, absolutely transformative. And you know, you still have, we're human beings. It doesn't mean we don't have our places where we suffer, right? And so we can notice those places. We, but how we relate to our suffering can change. So that the amount we suffer can start to liberate a little bit. But even when the difficulties or unpleasantnesses comes up in our own minds or bodies, 
we can start to shift our relationship with it more. At least be aware of it more instead of just caught in it more. And you know what? We'll have the times when we get caught and lost in it. We're human beings. (laughs) For that, we bring in the compassion. That's a whole other discussion. But very, very important for all the times when when we do suffer. I think I'll stop there and we can see if there's any comments or if you have questions, that'd be fine, too. I think you want to pass the microphone, right? Yeah. Any comments or questions? Okay. Um, <coughs> Richard, my name is George. Um, I'd, uh, I'd like to ask you a personal question. Sure. You talked about your own transformation. Yeah. And my question is, can you tell us from what to what now? <laughs> Dirty question. Well, I mean, any of I, I, I For you. Yeah. Well, let me just put it this way. Um... I don't want to, I'm not going to go into a lot of story, but, you know, my own, in, practice has been transformational on many, many levels. Um, and this is not just me, I think, uh, anyone who's put time into and any, any of this. Maybe it doesn't just come from Dharma practice. It might be we've done therapy. Maybe we've just lived on this earth long enough to gain some wisdom. But let me, let me just put it this way. I would just invite every one of us here. So there's a wide range of ages here. Some older, some quite right. So some of you don't maybe have as much years under your belt to do this exercise, but it'll probably work. Think back to your life and see if you can think of one thing, just one, where you can say, you know, I really used to suffer around this thing. And you know what? At least around this one aspect of my life, I don't suffer as much as I used to. I'm not saying it never comes up, but it's better. I'm freer around this. Now, if you can't think of anything, come talk to me later. (laughs) So these are the kind of ways I'm giving you a general. I don't mind talking personally and people have heard me talk. I share personal stuff all the time. I feel quite comfortable doing it. It's just... I'm just kind of giving a general answer there, but um, I could give you some more specifics if you want. Um, other areas to look at, um, not just around specific if you've suffered or not. Um, maybe I'll just leave it at that for now. I don't know if that was a very satisfactory answer for you. So while she's passing the mic, I'll just add one more to you. Um, as with uh, many Dharma practitioners, there's been a lot of areas in my life where I could say that is true. And also, even qualitatively, just the, just the level of being uh, in life shifts. And there's lots and lots of shifts that, that happen. Um, so I take it you perceive that your life has a better, a better if you will, quality than right. it was before all of this experience in Dharma practice. Oh, there's no question about it. I suffered terribly in my... Yeah, I had a lot of issues around self-esteem and self-worth and um, self-judgments. Uh, I would go so far as looking... I, 
I was going to say emotionally crippled, but that's that's a strong word. Um, but probably was a kind of a basket case, really. And and now, well, I don't know. You'd have to ask my wife if if, if I'm still a basket case or not. But uh, it's better. Uh, one thing, just one moment, and before you. Um, most of us do want to improve our lives and make it better. Um, traditionally, for the, um, the teachings of the Buddha were not actually, the, 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 there were two parts. One is improving the life, but that was actually not the ultimate goal. This nirvana in Sanskrit or nibbana in Pali that the Buddha talked about um, was um, not about making us feel better, but it was actually, if you will say, transcending life. What, what does that mean to transcend life? So it's a big conversation. I, you know, you, if, I would recommend if you're interested in the topic, come here. I forgot the date, but it's, if there's not a flyer up on the wall, it'll be on the, the website, the Sati Center, S-A-T-I, Sati Center for Buddhist, for Buddhist Studies. Uh, it's going to have Ajahn Amaro here doing a day on Nibbana. We'll talk about that topic, but that was the ultimate goal. And the fact that our lives improved by doing Dharma was, was considered a nice, pleasant side effect. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think it's for any of us to judge why we come to practice. And I will add one other thing, just personally, and some people may not, I'm not saying that what I'm, this is right or wrong, but I'm just sharing how it is for me. I personally don't ever think about nirvana, never enters my mind. It just doesn't. Maybe it should, I don't know. But what I am interested in is living my life, and I'm very interested in this, in a way that's as loving, compassionate, free, clear, mindful, liberated, I'll even say as enlightened as possible. I'm very interested in that. What that does is it brings it right back down to practice in the moment. And then I don't worry about where that heads so much. Is it to this thing called the bana? Is it just to making life more pleasant? I don't know. But I'm more interested moment to moment. That's just for me. As far as um, suffering and the end of suffering goes, Jack Crawford wrote a book called Enlightenment and End the Dirty Laundry. And I'm sorry. It's called After the Ecstasy, the Laundry. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yes. And so, if if you come to the end of suffering, how can you suffer after that? Right. So, if you come to the end of the suffering after this, if, if you come to the end of suffering, I don't think you can suffer after that. But I think what he was pointing to in that book, um, it's been a long time since I've read that book, is that there very well may be people out there, certainly in the Buddhist tradition, there are people who come to this end of suffering, full liberation. So ostensibly, the Buddha didn't suffer. Now, he did suffer in the sense that he still experienced, he was still a human being, so he still experienced pleasant and unpleasant. You know, he had a bad back, for example, sometimes he had to lie down. You know, the stories where he tells his attendant, Ananda, Ananda, you know, my back hurts, I have to lie down. You go give the Dharma talk. Or we would say to people, you know, you're really being bothersome and wearisome to me. <laughs> so he was still a human being. Yet, we don't know what 
the mind of a Buddha was, but again, I say ostensibly, he, was, um, he wasn't making a problem about it. He let life be how it was, and it wasn't reacting into things. So from that level, it didn't create a suffering, even though there might be the suffering of just having a bad back is a suffering in a sense. So when we use this word suffering, we, there's sort of the two kinds. There's sort of the inherent just experiences of being a, in a, a human being in the world, and then there's the reactivity of mind that creates suffering in relationship to the experience of being a human being. So that's the end of suffering they're talking about. And then I think what Jack was pointing to is that realistically, um, people I know who've been very dedicated practitioners from their whole lives, you know, it gets subtler and subtler whether someone really comes to a place where they're utterly to the end or whether you can be quite enlightened and liberated, but you're still... It's not like you're not a human being or don't still have your edges maybe to work with there. And I think that's what he was talking about. You know, I think Jack's not making any claim that he's, he's of being enlightened. He would never say that. And he'd be quite clear to point out his humanness. He's, I really love that about him. Um, I've been practicing for 40 years. And um, sometimes it's amazing to me how, you know, I look, I watch what happens in my mind, what I worry about. You know, it's interesting when you start to pay attention to your mind sometimes. And just the stuff that still comes around, and I'm worrying about this, or am I going to be okay, or, you know, is, how's my Dharma book compared to doing? It's not selling as much as so-and-so. I mean, just the junk in your mind. Right? Now, a big question is, are we caught in that, or do we just see? It's just a thought that floated through the mind, and you just let it go, and you're like, well, okay, and just let it go. Or do we get identified and hooked and caught? So it's a big question, actually, uh, and it probably is subject of much debate, is does enlightenment mean that there's no more even potential for any negativity or difficulty to arise in your experience at all? Or does it mean the full expression of being a human being is still there, but you're just not identified, you see it clearly, and you don't get hooked or caught by it? It's different. And so I think he was pointing kind of to this ladder where you can still be a human being. You know, if someone comes and sits up here and makes a claim to not be a human being, well, yeah, just be careful. <laughs> but if someone comes and says, you know, I'm still suffer and I still, but you know what? My relationship with it has changed. You can relate to that from your own experience. That's realistic. Anyway, okay? All right. Um, yeah, let's make it quick. Uh, yeah, I, I don't talk, know if this is a quick I one. I talked too long, so. This is a quick one. I don't know if you're willing to give your opinion on, sure. the, on the Bernie Madoff uh, 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 deal with suffering and karma and yeah. collective karma. I, I don't know, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, we could talk about it. It's interesting. So if you want to think of it from a karmic perspective, but I mean, I don't think we know the answer to that. So I, I, I just, I mean, I'm not trying to be glib or just brush it aside, but I don't know. Uh, karma is a tricky thing to talk about. And of course, I'm not saying that you have this perspective, but just as a general comment, because it can, you know, collective karma, I think there, there is something maybe, maybe there, maybe that's a real force and part of how the universe operates. But, um, 
you know, there's lots of examples of, of large groups of people suffering in terrible, terrible ways. Um, you know, there's various holocausts and different things. And so I just think it's a tricky topic and I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Yeah? No, that, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I'm, being that you brought it up, I thought that it, you yeah. would maybe talk about it in the context of, right. of Buddhism. Right. Well, so in the context of Buddhism, I would say this maybe is a good thing to end on. I have an aspiration that I've, I talk about, I've talked about here before, to live in a way so that no living being is ever shut out of my heart. That's a real aspiration I have. And I get many opportunities to bump up against where there's still work to be done, right? Because that's a big aspiration, but it is a real aspiration I have. So um, one of the things I get to do is, to the extent I can stay conscious of, mindful of, in touch with, connected with my aspiration, then when I bring my attention to the story of Bernie Madoff, to him, to other people, to the greater community, everybody who was touched in different ways. And there's a lot of opinions that I could have about him, about people. Well, why did you put all your money in? You know, I just, my mind can go off into all kinds of things, right? And come right back to my aspiration. To inf- and then how does that inform my thinking, my attitude towards them? So maybe from a Buddhist perspective, I would just offer that. Okay, for, okay, for now? Yeah, okay. Fine. All right. Well, it's exactly nine o'clock and I want to be respectful of the time. So what I'd like to do is this um, literally take one minute. If you have to go and can't even do the minute, please take care of yourself and don't feel you know, self-conscious if you need to walk out. But I'm literally take a minute to close. And I would ask you or invite you to do this. If from listening to the talk or for the for the discussion, it, which can often happen. It can take us out of ourselves. We're, we're into the listening. Route. Our consciousness goes out and we sort of lose the connect, mindful connection with ourselves. If that's happened, bring your awareness back, connecting into your body and in your heart and your mind, just into your inner experience and just to connect with what's going on in your experience. Maybe some things in the talk that you liked or that you didn't like or so there could be something like that or things may have come up in you or there may not be much going on, kind of neutral. Just notice. And then also to notice whatever, if there is something challenging going on, notice how you're relating to your experience. Can there be a sense of allowing? Or is there some struggle going on with whatever's happening in your experience? And then finally, we'll just uh, do what's called dedication of merit. The term merit just means for any good good qualities, good energy. We call it merit. And, you know, we've all used our time well together this evening, right? We've come together to meditate together and reflect on this Dharma topics about different ways we approach meditation practice. And, you know, you could have done anything with your evening and you came to spend the time practicing Together, So we've all used our time together well. So there's been plenty of good qualities or good energy that's come about. And so let us offer that up. May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. 
May all beings everywhere be happy, peaceful, and may all beings come to an end of suffering. So thank you all for your practice. It was nice to hang out with you this evening.